you for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we pray big prayers to a big God, and we expect big results. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at victory.church or download our mobile app. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. I want to jump in right into God's word today that comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 22. And it says this, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. Then everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. The message title for this morning is simply this, from sigh to song. You don't have to sing like that, but can, can we try a little bit? Edmund, can you try with me? From sigh to song, 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 song. Okay, we'll just, from side to song, that's it, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that your word is alive and active. And because it is alive, we cannot leave dead today. Because it is alive, it will speak life into our heart and to our soul. We welcome your presence, welcome your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. When I read this story and I read that as, Saul, uh, as David was es escaping from Saul... And then all his brothers went to find him at the cave of Adullam. And then all his father's household. And then all the people that were uh, distressed. All the people that were in debt. All the people that were discouraged. All the people that were discontent followed David. I thought to myself, this sounds like a Latino Christmas gathering. Because you have other people that show up and always are going to complain about something. Then you get the other group that's always offended because of something you said last year. Can you, anybody relate? Then you got the other people who, who just come to you because they want to borrow some money. And then you have the other group that show up that you've never met in your entire life, but they're there to eat your food. Some of you may sound, sound like you're going to have a Latino Thanksgiving too. I'm going to encourage you today, all right? In fact, there are three stories that I want to share with you today. The first one will take a little bit longer because it will set up the next two, but we'll move through those real quickly. And before we dive into our story out of, out of 1 Samuel, I'd like to talk about how David got to the cave of Adullam. If you're not familiar with David's story... David was a shepherd boy who was anointed king between the ages of 11 and 14, but he did not become king right away. He did not become king right away. But what we do know is that he was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He poured all this oil all over David's teenage hair and anointed him king. You will become king. But for 1 Samuel tells us, he says that from, day, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. All the things that we can do when the God's Spirit comes powerfully upon us. 
A year or two later, the Bible tells us that the Israelites were fighting the Philistines. And there was a man by the name, a giant by the name of Goliath, who was taunting and mocking the children of Israel for 40 days. And no one could do anything. No one could do anything to stand up to Goliath because they were in fear. So David is told by his dad to bring some food to his, to his brothers who were soldiers. And David arrives to the scene as a naughty little teenage boy. And he's looking at all the Israelite army and he's looking at them and they're in fear. So he steps in and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I'm not sure if it was common knowledge that the Philistines were uncircumcised or if David could just see from very far away. If you want a message of circumcision, go back a few weeks. Pastor John has done a very great message, and he'll, he'll give you a little bit more detail. But David steps there, and then he tells the army, he says, why are you guys afraid of him? You're looking at his stature. You're looking at his size. You're looking at his muscular demeanor. You're looking at his weapons, at his helmet, at his large sword. I'm looking at something else. He hasn't been cut. Why are you afraid of someone who is not in covenant with the Lord? We are in covenant with God. We don't walk in fear. So I want to read to you this story just to kind of refresh your memory a little bit. It says that meanwhile the Philistine, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Man, that's some heavy trash talk. Especially when you have a warrior staring at a little shepherd boy without an armor. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and your humongous spear and your javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Can you picture the army? You're watching online. Picture this with me. Edmund, picture this with me. Can you picture the army listening to David kind of saying, oh, man, this kid. Who is this kid? His brothers are kind of hiding like, oh, no, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. Call dad. Go get dad. That's about 12 miles away. I don't think he's going to make it on time. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Um, somebody needs to tell this kid that he's, about, that he's talking to Goliath. Can you picture teenage trash talk? You know, when they get upset and like passionate. He's like, this day you, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Um, David, you have a slingshot. You can cut anything with it, bro. <laughs> the army, I mean, I can just picture the army listening to David and saying, somebody's got to go grab him. This kid is insane. He's got to cut Goliath's head. He cannot reach Goliath's beard. 
and he doesn't have a sword. Let's tell him, he says, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army. So now it's no longer just Goliath. I'm coming after y'all. To the birds and the wild animals. And then he gets even more wild. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I believe that this next part, he tells the Israelite army, he says, all those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and the Philistine army, and, and he will give you into our hands. Amen. So the army is like, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> We've been, we were fine for 40 days, and this kid shows up, and now, okay, we're doing this. So the story goes on that David, with one stone in his slingshot, cast a stone right into Goliath, to his forehead. Goliath falls to the ground, face forward. David comes to Goliath, grabs his, own, his sword, and cuts his head off. And one act of faith ignited valor in an entire nation. Because of that, David moves to live with the king, King Saul, into the palace. He becomes his armor bearer. Not only becomes his armor bearer, he gets trained as a soldier and begins to fight battles for King Saul. Becomes very successful. Every battle David fought was a battle David won. His success and name continues to grow throughout the land that King Saul becomes so jealous he tries to kill him while David is playing his harp and singing worship to Saul. Now, I know we may sing some songs that you may not like, but I've never seen any of you guys come with a spear and said, oh, man, they better sing my song because if not, this it's going down. So David ends up marrying one of King Saul's daughters becomes his son-in-law, and you think things could get better, and maybe they got better for a little bit, but ultimately Saul's jealousy continues to grow against David because of his success to the point that he puts out a bounty on David to kill him. So David finds out, so he flees from the palace, and he goes to the prophet Samuel and said, hey, dude, uh, remember what you said to me while you were pouring all that oil over me that I was going to become king? Um, I think you were off a little bit, Samuel, because King Saul is after me. So this is where our story starts. David departs from there, from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. Then everyone who was distressed and dead and everyone who was discontent gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. David suddenly, from being a hero in a nation... From sitting in the king's stable, now is quarantined from the worship community in the temple. David is quarantined from his close friends. David is separated from his calling and his purpose. And to make matters worse, 400 very dysfunctional men find him. And he finds himself to the cave of Adullam. 
The word Adulam in the Hebrew means justice of the people, which tells us that these men were so distressed that they, had, they felt they had been cheated by life. They were so mistreated that these men wondered, why has this happened to us? Is there justice for us? You could almost say that these were men with a sigh. So broken that they had left their homes and their families. So desperate that they believed that they had a better chance of justice by following a man who was on the run and on Israel's most wanted list. When you need help, when you're depressed, you don't go after someone who's also running for their life. So David would spend about three to six months in the cave of Adullam. And you must say, three to six months, that's nothing. We've been dealing with this pandemic for five years. <laughs> or eight months, whatever. Potato, potato. We've been dealing with this for eight months. But David would spend eight years fleeing from Saul. Away from home, not able to return to his home. But he finds himself in Adullam. And it is in this cave that David journals and writes a few psalms. And because we know what he wrote while he was in there, we know that you could almost hear also David's sigh. And this is what he writes in Psalm 142. It says, I cry out with my voice to the Lord. With my voice, I implored the Lord for compassion. I poured out my complaint before him. I declared my trouble before him. When my spirit fell weak within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walked, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me favorably. There is no escape for me. No one cares about my soul. I cry to the Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give your attention to my cry. God, pay attention to me. For I have been brought very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. He says, bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. Did you know that God welcomes you being real with him? That you don't have to be proper with your prayer. That you don't have to pray in King James Version. That you can actually bring you some gangsta prayers. Where you're just like walking around. He's like, man, he's okay with you being honest with him in your prayers. Can you imagine David's, can you relate to David's sigh? He was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. He loved, served, fought, and won battles faithfully for Saul. He honored Saul. Why is this now happening to him? And some of you may be in the same place. You may find yourself in a similar cave 
like Adulon, wondering, maybe you're watching online and you're wondering, why are bad things happening to me when I'm trying to live right? How, how many, how much more can I handle? Why are things so out of control in my life? Things are happening when I'm trying to do right. We didn't ask for this illness. We didn't ask for this divorce. We didn't ask for this broken relationship in our family. We didn't want this anxiety. We weren't looking for this depression or this debt. We certainly did not ask for 2020. 2020 was supposed to be the year of perfect vision. But it's nothing more than a perfect blur. You hear the sigh, and maybe you find yourself in the same place. I, I want to share with you a, a little bit of truth to help us deal when bad things that you cannot control happen to you and your family. You see, we may not be able, we may not have control over what's happening to us, but we have a choice of what's going to happen inside us. You may not control what happens to you, but you can choose what happens inside of you. Just because we lack control doesn't mean we lack choice. And sometimes we get those confused. You may not have control of the sorrow that has come upon you, but you do have a choice of how long you're going to stay there. You may not be able to control all your illnesses, but you can choose to live a healthy lifestyle. You may not control your divorce, but you can choose to get better, not bitter. You may not be able, let, let, me, let me picture it, let me put a picture to you this way. You may not be able to stop a bird from pooping on your head. But you can choose to stop it from building a nest on it. Now, let's be honest, how many of you guys, that's happened to you? There's been a bird that kind of released them on your head. One time it happened to me twice on the same week. Come on. <laughs> Hashtag Adulam. I was, where are you, God? Why is this happening to me? You may feel like you're in a cave, too. You're watching online. You're an academic campus and you're like, I, I can completely relate to this side from these men and from David because my life is uncertain. I don't know how we're going to finish 2020. I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. There's so many question marks in what's happening in our family. I don't know what to do. Let me remind you something. Even inside a cave, in the, inside a pa pandemic, inside pain, God can turn your sigh into a song. David wrote Psalm 142, his sigh in the cave, but he was in the same dark and cold and lonely cave that he also wrote Psalm 57. And it's a long song, so I'm just going to read verses 7 through 11. It says, my heart is steadfast, God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing 
Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your goodness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, God. May your glory be above all the earth. Notice that in Psalm 142, David says, my soul is in prison. But in Psalm 57, he says, my soul takes refuge in you. What changed? Certainly, it was not his circumstances or his condition. Then how could he go from sigh to song? Well, let's look at verse 7. It says, I will sing praises. The word praises is the word zamar, which means to celebrate in song and music. And then in verse 9, it says, I will praise. And the word is yada, which means to throw, to cast, to revere, or to worship with extended hands intensively. Yada. Say it with me, Edmund, online. Okay, see, yada. But see, we think sometimes yada is proper and cute when we come to church. Can I be real for a minute? Sometimes I think in our churches, in our church, we don't understand the fullness of yada. The throwing of hands intensively. Because we kind of do yada like this, like, Just don't want everybody to see me right now. Just right here is fine. I'm suppressing all that happened on my way to church, or maybe I'm just I just want to hold a little baby right here. Just right here. It's fine. I don't have to. God knows where I'm at. I'm just my yada is different than your yada. Don't judge my yada. Or I just don't, maybe I don't want anyone to look at me, so I just want to yada. Like, like, don't look at me. I'm just between me and God. And I'm going to yada. Sometimes I think I see more yada in football games than I see in church. Oh, come on. I know we have some OU, OSU, and everybody else fans around here. I know what you did last night. Could hear you from my house, from your living room. But when we come to church, we, we just feel like, oh, no, that's church. We have to be proper put together. Just right here. Let me, and, and I want to dive into this a little bit because I, I wanted to change the culture of our church. We have an amazing culture of worship. We have some amazing worshipers in all of our campuses. And I want to stir something even greater in your life today because I think 2020 deserves it. I believe that there are, when, anytime you read the word praise or praises in the Bible, in our English is one word, but in the Hebrew is one of seven words. The word, the first word that in, in, in Psalm 40, verse 3, actually, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, because 
I, I want us to understand the meaning of yada and how in our worship is so powerful of what David was doing while he was inside the cave. Which brings me to my first point. Sometimes you yada, you sing your way to victory. You sing your way to victory. Like David said in Psalm 57, I will praise. I will sing. Even in your depressed cave, in your loneliness, in your depression, in your wandering, in your questions, you can sing your way to victory. Can you picture David inside Adulam beginning to sing, beginning to throw his hands, beginning to raise his hands? See, his circumstances didn't change, but something inside of him began to change. And something inside his man began to change as well. Because eventually, these 400 men that were in debt, distress, and complaining are the same men who later on become David's mighty man. What changed? It was not their circumstances. It was God changing their heart because of what was coming out of their mouth. God, David and these men knew that even though their bodies physically was, were quarantined, that the enemy could not quarantine their worship. God turned David's sigh into a song, and his men began to join and sing with him. I believe that we should always let our praise be louder than our panic. The world needs to see, to see you post about your praise, not just about your panic. Let us increase our faith in how we treat everything that may ha be happening to us. We may not have, be, have any control over it, but we can still choose to praise him in the midst of it. Psalm uh, 40 says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. The word praise is the word tehillah, which means songs, hymns, adorations, and thanksgiving. And I see some people got super excited. I did not say tequila. I said tequila. <laughs> Just want to make sure that, Edmund, we want to keep you honest. I know some of your past. Come on. I, I, let's, we're going Hebrew here. There are seven words for the word praise that I want to share with you real quick. It's not on your notes, but uh, you can just simply Google the seven words for praise in Hebrew. The first word is halal, where, where we get the word hallelujah, which means to praise, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, to clamorously foolish. Even if it makes you look, look foolish, hallelujah, that's what that means. The second word is yada, which we just learned, which means to pray, to worship with extended hands, to lift hands intensively. The third word is tauda, which means to worship with extended hand in adoration, listen, or acceptance. And I love this because it means thanking God for what we may not have received yet, as well as things that are already in our hands. We need to have some tauda in Thanksgiving and this Christmas. Next word is shabak, which means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. You, see, this whole thing, this is not a Pentecostal charismatic thing. This is a biblical thing. This is what we do because the Bible encourages, and, and that's, what, that's what we praise the way we praise. The fourth word is shabak. 
to shout, address in a loud tone. Next word is barak, which means to kneel down, to bless God in adoration and salute. The, word, the next word is zamar, which means to pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise with musical instruments. And the last word is tehillah, which is a combination of all the other six words into one. It refers to the other six ways of adoration into one. We can tehillah, we can sing our way to victory. The second story that we're going to talk about that also talks about a different cave is a story that takes place in a land called Macedonia. This was such an evil place. There was such a stronghold of the enemy, satanic stronghold. There was no synagogue in Macedonia. There were no strong group of Jewish, the Christian believers. But in one dream, Paul sees a Macedonian man calling out to him, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul decides to go with Silas. And as they're preaching the gospel through the streets, there's a young girl possessed by the devil who had an divination spirit who was making money for her owners. And as she's following him around, she declares, listen to this man, to these men, because they come from God. But it was just only to be a distraction. And it got so bad that Paul got so annoyed that he turned to her, to her and he cast the demon out of her, which was great. But there was, the city was so evil that these men found out that now they can no longer make any money from her. So they take him captive as prisoners. They whip him and then they put him in a prison. They shackled their hands and their feet completely inside a cave, inside a dungeon. What was their response? We find it in Acts chapter 16 and says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. So it's like, there's that word again, singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to his foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains fell of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Why were they all there? The doors of the, of the prison were open. They were all still there because even though the doors were open, something from Paul and Silas' song had arrested their soul. I begin to change something in them. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The word believe is not just a mental belief. The actual Hebrew means commit your trust to Jesus. Right now in, a, in our nation, we have a lot of people in our churches that believe, but their trust lacks commitment. That's why your circumstances change your worship. And the devil has trained you well that if he wants to keep your mouth shut, he just has to send a, a, a crisis to you. And your worship is out of the door. Believe 
Commit your trust to Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with them and with all who lived in his household. Even that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Second point, sometimes we sing our way to victory, sometimes we sing our way to deliverance. Now, I, w- I want you to understand this, that Paul was a Pharisee, which meant he had memorized the Torah, and he had memorized the book of Psalms, all 150 of them. And because of that, that gives us a good idea of what they could have been singing that very night, shackled with hands and feet in the darkest of nights with their backs open to infection, without being able to see the wall in front of them or seeing each other. This is what they sang. They sang the Psalms of Hallel, people believe, which is the, the Psalms of Hallel are Psalms 113 through 118. We won't read all of them, but I want to read you a part of Psalm 118, which will be the last Psalm of Hallel. He says this in Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord. Now I picture they're chained up, bleeding and bruised and in pain. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Let Israel say his mercy is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his mercy is everlasting. Let those who fear the Lord say his mercy is everlasting. For my distress I call upon the Lord and the Lord answered me and put me in an open space. The Lord answered you, but you're in chains. How can you say give thanks to the Lord when you're inside a cave? The reason why they were able to sing this psalm is because they knew that praise is a choice that doesn't ask permission to our condition or to your circumstances. I know this story is usually preached as if 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 we just praise and worship the Lord that our chains fell that our chains will fall off and I believe that I've seen it in our life but you must understand that Paul and Silas were not just delivered from something they were delivered for something God had in mind even in the midst of the prison, that God would use their pain to bring a jailer and other prisoners and the jailer's family to salvation. God was bringing deliverance for a purpose. And I know the enemy will try to keep your mouth shut in church and out of, your, and out of church. He will try to keep you quiet because if he makes you think that you can't control your mouth, He'll stop your worship. And if he makes you think that you don't have a choice in your worship, he'll keep you chained up and quiet in the dungeon of your mind. Listen, if you struggle with worship, with any of the seven praise words, if you struggle with worship because of how you see you, worship anyway. Because worship has nothing to do with you and me. Worship has everything to do with who God is and what he has done. And if we look at what he has done, we have a good idea of what he's going to do. 
That's why we can worship. That's why we can shout. That's why we can throw our hands. That's why we can sing. That's why we can kneel. That's why we can play instruments. That's why we can tehillah our way into deliverance. Sometimes we need to tell our feelings who our God is. Online church, Edmond Campus, worship anyway. You see, I believe that our mouth, there's so much power in our mouth that the Bible says, that, you know, I believe that the enemy's trying to keep your mouth shut. But there's going to be a, a, a day where all Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Republicans, Democrats, and everyone in between, whether they believe or not, every single one of their knees is going to bow every single one of their tongues, every single one of their mouths, whether they believe in them or not, there will be one day where they will see that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. There will not be a single mouth that is going to be kept shut because when you're in God's presence, you can help to Tehillah. Don't let the enemy keep your mouth Shot. Sometimes we sing our way to deliverance. Our last story. It's a very different story in a different dark and lonely cave. And it comes out of Matthew 26, verse 30, that says, And after singing a hymn, there's singing a hymn again. They went out to the Mount of Olives. And this story is obviously about Jesus and his disciples on their way to Gethsemane. This was the song they would sing at their last supper. It was the week of Passover. So traditionally, the Jews would sing the Passover songs. They would do this at the Passover dinner, at the Passover supper that Jesus and his disciples would have. And we know exactly the very last song that Jesus would sing right before he would make his way to Gethsemane. It was the Passover Psalms. The Passover Psalms are also called the Psalms of Hallel. And they were sung during and after the meal. Typically, one ver chapters 113 and 14 during the meal. And then after the meal was done, they would sing Psalms 15 through 18. And some of you guys caught this. Paul and Silas in their cave most likely sang the same song that Jesus would sing on his way to his cave. On their way to Gethsemane, on the same night he would be betrayed by Judas, the night he would end up in a cave in Caiaphas' house. Trust me, it is a cave. I've been there, right below the house of Caiaphas. About 10 hours before he would be crucified, about 13 hours before he would end up in his ultimate cave that we call the tomb. Now picture Jesus singing this, knowing that all these things were about to happen. He's with his best friends. He's about to go to the place of suffering. And we know what he sings. Psalm 118 is very long, so we're just going to read a few verses. But this is what he sings. He says, give thanks to the Lord, 
for he is good. For his mercy is everlasting. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation, it's in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord performs valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord performs valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. I will give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. A stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. This was on their way to Gethsemane, the place of agony. Gethsemane means oil press. This was the place of, of crushing, of the highest form of pressure to the point that Jesus sweats drops of blood. And it is in this place in Gethsemane that Mark 14 tells us that Jesus prays before the Father and he says, Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Abba in Aramaic, it's, it's a very personal, very intimate way to say Father. Very reverent way to say Father. The one who knows everything about me because we're so close and I know you in such a way that I call you Holy Father Abba from studying this word I wrote this simple prayer that I pictured Jesus praying that night in Gethsemane Abba the one who loves me and knows everything about me. We are so close that I know you and respect your name, your power, your authority. You are such a good father to me. There is nothing you cannot do. Please, Alba, if there is any way, please help me not have to go through this. But Father... I know you and love you and trust you so much that I am okay with whatever you decide. I want whatever you want, Abba, because you love me and because I love you, I will gladly choose whatever you choose. See, I believe we can sing our way to victory, and yes, we can sing our way to deliverance, but sometimes the most powerful song the most powerful thing that we can do is we can sing our way to surrender. And I know we come to church and we sing victory songs. I'm gonna see a victory. 
I'm going to see a victory. Or even this, this morning we sing, Jesus, you are my deliverance from death to life, from dark to light. But I wonder sometimes, our greatest need is not victory or deliverance. I wonder if our greatest need in America today is surrender. Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, deliver me, but not my will. Your will be done. Surrender. Why surrender? Because your surrender can bring victory and deliverance to your family, to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, to your classmates. Surrender. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life is waiting for their victory and is waiting for their deliverance because you haven't surrendered? Someone's eternity is on the other side of your surrender. We know that we come to Christ by faith, but we also receive him as Lord through surrender. Lordship comes by surrender. Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, your will be done. What was the will of the Father? The will of the Father was for Jesus to go to the cross. We get God's will on the cross in surrender, not in our comfort. If you want God's will, surrender. If you want God to change your life, surrender. If you want victory, surrender. If you want deliverance, surrender. If you want blessings, surrender. God is more interesting about your surrender than what he wants to do just in the circumstances in your life. It doesn't matter what cave you're in. You have the choice to lift your voice and praise your way out. Once again, thank you for joining us today for this week's message at Victory Church, where we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond themselves, and be transformed. The only way that can happen is through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this ministry has impacted your life in any way, we would like to invite you to partner in giving towards this ministry. You can do that by visiting our website at victory.church give, or download our Victory Church app and select give. Once again, thank you and God desires for us to live life to the full.